0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show that goes behind the headlines and explores issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. The death of Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest-serving monarch last month, was a watershed media moment that garnered intense coverage both in the UK and abroad. But did journalism take a backseat to pageantry in the British media coverage of the event? And what does this say about media diversity in the UK? Joining me to discuss this today is Marcus Ryder, Head of External Consultancies of the Sir Lenny Henry Centre for Media Diversity at Birmingham City University. Marcus has over 25 years of experience in current affairs broadcasting and is also the co-author of the book, Access All Areas, The Diversity Manifesto for TV and Beyond. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, it's not surprising nor unwarranted that the Queen's death became a media focal point for the UK press, given the role of the monarch in the British system, as well as her longevity on the throne. But you've argued that the dominant narrative of national mourning in media coverage was a reflection of diversity issues in the UK. So why was this framing problematic?
1: It's problematic because the British um, and the United Kingdom has a complex relationship with the monarchy. And different parts of Britain and different communities have different feelings. You just look at the polling, have different feelings towards the monarchy. So for example, if you look at young people in Wales, that's people under 30, in the poll which happened in May of earlier this year during the Queen's Jubilee, 80% of young Welsh people did not want the monarchy to continue after the Queen's death. A minority of adults in Scotland, so I think it was something like 45%, positively wanted the Queen to continue. 35%, about 35%, 36% did not want the monarchy to continue after the Queen died. So this points to the fact that while it's right that when the head of state dies that there should be national mourning, the media should reflect the full feelings and the range of feelings and political issues which are happening in the nation. And all the polling suggests that different parts of the UK feel very differently about the monarchy. And I'm just talking about the geographic parts and age demographics. Mm. If you start looking at ethnic minorities, people like my family who are from Jamaica, like my wife's family who are from Kenya, who are former colonies, we have very different feelings and mixed emotions about the monarchy and about the British state. And so it's not about whether we should be mourning. It's about the fact that the media should reflect the full range of the population. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, one pushback against this argument is that it wasn't really the right time to be discussing critical issues so soon after the Queen's passing. I mean, isn't this a valid argument? Because I can understand that a critical message may not be received in the best way at a time when emotions are running high.
1: I think there's two things to unpack with that. The first one is this was a national moment, right? And so unfortunately, diversity and all its messiness needs to be affected at really important national moments. You can't say, oh, this is the time for the dominant um, majority to have their say. And then when the national moment has passed, when it's less important, we can bring in what black people think, what Asian people think who are living in Britain, what um, Scottish people think. You can't sideline diversity and then bring it in when it's convenient for you. That's the first point. And it makes it difficult. It's not easy journalism, because you have to do it in a respectful way. You're absolutely right. You know This is a national morning, so a lot of it is to do with tone, a lot of it is to do with how you actually do your journalism. The other point, which is really important, is at this time of national morning, so for example, there was a protest to King Charles's succession in Scotland. And the and that made national and international news that the person was arrested when they, when they protested, or the people were arrested when they were protested. And most of the headlines surrounding that was about freedom of speech and the right to protest. And those issues, and it's, those two issues are very important: freedom of speech and, and right to protest. But what was missed is that. The people protesting represented, according to the polls, over a third of um, people in the feelings of people in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Right. And so while this time of national mourning, we should also recognize that during that period, we ushered in a new head of state. And it's a new head of state that a sizable minority did not want. Right. And so then was exactly the time to debate and talk about that so you had quite a few things happening at once you had national mourning absolutely but you also had a new head of state coming to the throne as well and so that's why we needed to have these debates and make sure that media always reflects what we're doing diversity is not something that you can put to the side and then when it's convenient bring back
0: Now, in an op-ed on the Birmingham City University website, you shared that you did warn the BBC Director General Tim Davey that the Queen's passing could pose an editorial dilemma for the public broadcaster. So if we look at the BBC specifically, what do you think was lacking from the BBC's coverage? Was it all the points that you mentioned earlier, just the lack of um, diverse representation and perspectives of the UK population?
1: Well, it's interesting. We had quite a few private messages um, from people, from journalists within the BBC as well. And it's making sure that the editorial decisions are made by as many people, as many people have editorial input into that as possible. Quite a few people have pointed that some of the best journalism and most nuanced journalism, respectful still, but some of the most nuanced journalism came from what's known in Britain as the Nations and Regions, so outside of London right, so stuff that was being broadcast and produced in Wales, stuff that was being broadcast and produced in in Scotland. And so one of the things that we need to do is how do we devolve the editorial decision making or how do we ensure that the editorial decisions which are being made, which are predominantly being made in London, how do we make sure that a diverse range of people have an input on that and so that the feelings of Black Britons Asian Britons, Scottish people, Welsh people, people from Northern Ireland have an input, and then it, the editorial decisions properly reflect. In Britain, you have a massive concentration of power, not just at BBC, but just, just across the country in London. And what you have is, if you look at our media, and if you look at society in general in Britain, you have white heterosexual, non-disabled men living in and around London, wielding massive amounts of power. Most of the power is concentrated in, as I said, white, heterosexual men, able-bodied, living around London, right? And if you actually look at what percent of the population they make up, they actually make up 3.1% of the population, right? And so you have 3.1% of the population with a disproportionate, right? Insanely disproportionate amount of sway and influence on why editorial lines should be in television and lots of other aspects of our society. And it's just making sure that other people in our society can really feed into that.
0: Are these gaps more significant coming from a public broadcaster like the BBC, as opposed to commercial media outlets? Do you think the fact that um, the BBC is also facing these diversity issues, how concerned should we be about that situation?
1: Yeah, so the the BBC um, is, and there's a subtle difference, is a national broadcaster, not a state broadcaster. And so the subtle difference is that a state broadcaster represents the views of the government, and is paid for by the government. A national broadcaster is paid for by the nation, the people, which is why there is a license fee that people living in the UK pay that goes directly to the BBC. So the BBC is meant to be directly accountable to the people, not to the government or political parties. And as such, the worrying thing about the BBC, in this context, is that it did not reflect the views of large parts of people who directly pay their licence fee. Whereas a private broadcaster, if it doesn't reflect the views of people that don't watch it or don't pay pay for it, they're like, okay, an advertiser can put its funding, and it can, if it used to be paid by, I don't know, um, one car brand, it can go to an advertiser for another car brand. You know and so it's um so who is it accountable to and the bbc is quite special being a national broadcaster in that i pay my license fee people who are royalists pay their license fee so their views definitely have to be respected people who are republican pay their license fee so their views should also be respected you know so that's why the bbc has is meant to have quite a unique relationship with the public
0: I'm speaking to Marcus Ryder, Head of External Consultancies of the Sir Lenny Henry Centre for Media Diversity at Birmingham City University. We'll have more from this conversation in just a moment. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. I'm Shazana and with me today is broadcast journalist Marcus Ryder, who works with the Sir Lenny Henry Centre for Media Diversity, which is part of the Birmingham City University. We're reflecting on issues in the media coverage of the Queen's death last month, as well as the broader landscape of media diversity in the UK. Marcus, what's your observation of how international media covered the Queen's death and the issues attended to it compared to the UK press?
1: If you compare American coverage or even European coverage of the Queen's death, they were respectful. Most, you know, New York Times was respectful. ARD, uh Vela News as well, which is German, were respectful. But they brought up the issues far more of Britain's colonial past and what this actually means and, and what have you. Whereas British journalism, you'll be able to find some examples But the examples that you'll find, most of them were in the opinion sections of the newspapers. And that in itself is also problematic. The reason why it's problematic is because there is editorial news. There's there's the official news with all the power and importance that news carries, which is saying that we should all be mourning and the whole nation is in mourning and, and what have you. And then you have the opinion pieces, which can be sidelined as well. It's just somebody's opinion. And so the opinion pieces are then say is a more complex picture. You know, so you don't want to just sideline diversity or the dissenting voices into opinion while the accepted narrative is one of national mourning that doesn't bring in that diversity. And you saw that in the UK press and media, whereas I feel that um, American and other European media were able, as I said, they were still respectful, ahead of a head of state had died. You know, but they were they seemed to be able to rise to that challenge of talking about the difficulties mm. while still being respectful.
0: Well, I guess one could also argue that the US and Germany, they don't have a monarch ruling them. So in a way, they come from a different perspective as they cover it, which may have given them more leeway to be able to cover the various issues. Um, But I do want to touch about this question about self-censorship and official narratives. And I think this is related to the debate of impartiality in the newsroom. Uh, So I'm curious about how you would look at impartiality and what does being impartial mean in a time of intense political polarization? Because we have the question coming up, especially over the past decade with issues of Brexit, of the rise of Trumpism in the US, just the mobilization of social justice movements online, um, and impartiality versus fake bias. I guess, how would you differentiate the two? How would you reconcile that or parse that?
1: Okay, so the important part in in the debate, and the word which is often dropped off, is the word due. So it's due impartiality. So we shouldn't be just impartial. We should have due impartiality. And that means that we actually take a stance and have values. We don't think sexism is right. So we don't have somebody saying, I think that all women should stay at home and, uh, you know, shouldn't be allowed to work, whereas and men should be able to rule everything. We don't think that those are two opinions of equal weight. That doesn't mean we don't report on people who, who are saying sexist things. Absolutely we don't think that they have equal weight right and so that's the difference between impartiality impartiality is that irrespective of the view you give them equal weight it's just you're just there to report on both views give them equal balance due impartiality is saying I actually have some values my my newsroom and my journalism has some values and my and my values might be anti-racist they might be anti-sexist they might I believe in global warming so I'm not going to give somebody who's saying that global warming doesn't exist the same amount of weight as somebody who who does, you know, so it's about due impartiality. In this time of polarization, it's incumbent on newsrooms and journalists to be clear about what their newsroom values are. And so we have to be strong and it's hard. We have to be strong and say we are anti-racist. We have to be strong and say we actually believe in global warming. You know, we have to be strong and say we actually believe in the rule of law or we believe in freedom of speech or whatever it is. And so you're not pretending that you're just balancing um competing narratives. That due impartiality is really hard, especially when you have some people and who are gaining political traction who might be going against your values in the newsroom. You know, and so that is... That is difficult. And it also means that you need, as, as an editor, as a newsroom editor, when you're speaking to your journalists as well, you have to say, well, what is our stance on this? You know, Do we have a stance on abortion? And if we have a stance on abortion, we need to be clear about that. And if we don't have a stance on abortion you know, and women's reproductive rights, that's fine. We need to be clear about that. What does that say about our other values? You know, and so it makes our job as journalists a lot harder, but we need to be transparent about what our values are.
0: Right. And in that way, it also allows consumers the choice of which media outlet they want to get their news from based on a clear understanding of what that newsroom stands for. And um, the way I see it, this transparency would also foster better public trust in the media. Um, Coming back to the issue of media diversity and looking more broadly at the UK media landscape, how much awareness is there about the gaps in media diversity across the industry? Is this something that's widely acknowledged to be a problem?
1: Within the industry, it's widely acknowledged to be a problem. So every broadcaster has um, a head of diversity, which is trying to increase diversity and our centre has worked with the FT. I've done work with the Guardian. Most major news organisations recognise there's a problem with diversity. The public, however, often confuse, and, it's, and I can understand why they do, with diversity in front of the camera compared to diversity behind the camera. And so what Britain has been very good at is that diversity in front of the camera has massively improved. If you just look at the last 10 to 20 years, it has massively increased, right? So you have black people, you have Asian people who are fronting news bulletins, are out reporting in Ukraine, um, covering the, the major stories. That's brilliant. At the same time, there is not one major television news bulletin not one of them has got a person of colour, actually in editorial control, who's the head of the news bulletins. So the people who make the editorial decisions, you know, that diversity is still very much lacking.
0: What are the repercussions of a lack in media diversity, Marcus? I mean, what are the signs that the homogeneity of media coverage will come back to haunt the decision makers? You know, what, what concerns you about um, this gap when it comes to the UK media industry?
1: It's interesting. You said that earlier, that with the transparency, people can pick and choose. They can be like, OK, fine. This is a news organisation or a newspaper that reflects my values. I'm going to go with this newspaper. This is a newspaper that doesn't. I'm not going to go with this newspaper. The the fear is that if 80 percent of young Welsh people, you know, to use that statistic, um, do not think the monarchy should should have continued after the Queen's death, you know, they won't see their values and their views reflected at the BBC or on any other broadcaster. So they will turn to other news sources. And the problem with that is that often they turn to news sources, which might not have the same journalistic rigor as the mainstream broadcasters. And that's when. They have become more susceptible to fake news, misrepresentation, and what have you. You want, you know, so the so the fear is that there'll be large sections, not the majority, um, but large sections of the population, and disproportionately from uh, quote unquote underrepresented groups, and also young people, who will turn away from the mainstream broadcasters, and will get their news from. WhatsApp will get their news from TikTok, will get their news from other news sources which might not be as reputable, you know. And so that's the problem, that's the fear.
0: What needs to be done then in order to incorporate more media diversity in the UK landscape? What uh, steps should be taken by media outlets themselves? And what can the public do, I suppose, or what's expected from the public to push for this agenda moving forward?
1: So I worked in Scotland for for eight years as head of current affairs at at BBC Scotland. And uh, what was interesting was that the Scottish politicians, for the most part, made sure that their views were represented and Scotland was represented. And so it wasn't just a case of trying to get a few more Scots working at the BBC. It was saying, here's an agenda, why isn't this view being represented properly? You know, and so what you want is you want the public to be able to say, why is not this polling being represented? Why isn't this story being being covered? You know, so it's, it's that type of thing. So real quick example, if you look at the, the UK coverage of COVID and there were Downing Street briefings, you know, there were regular government briefings um, weekly as to what was happening at, at COVID in 2020 and going into 21. It wasn't until you had two black journalists that the issue that COVID in the UK disproportionately hit people of color, that that issue was raised. And so what you have, if you do not have diversity, there are certain issues that politicians will address and certain issues that, you know, they won't address. Politicians are like anybody else. You know, they respond to the squeaky wheel. You know, they respond to, to journalists bringing up issues. And if we are allowed to bring up those issues and if we have diversity and so that you have the Asian journalists bringing up these issues, you have the black journalists bringing up these issues, you have working class journalists bringing up these issues, you have women bringing up certain issues. That's great. Then the political class can respond to them. If you don't have that diversity, they will only respond to the issues that the journalism brings them.
0: Marcus, thank you very much for a very insightful conversation. You made a lot of great points that I think we're going to be reflecting on for a long time to come. Uh, Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.
0: I've been speaking to broadcast journalist Marcus Ryder. He's the head of external consultancies at the Sir Lenny Henry Centre for Media Diversity, which is part of the Birmingham City University. This has been Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up, and then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more
1: stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.